What is a question that you wish people asked you more often? I'd say, what is your number one trait or superpower? Welcome to season two of Altia Stories. My name is Alexi and I'm here with my co-host Hilla. You will hear more stories from setbacks to victories and everything in between. This season, our guests include both Altoyes alumni as well as other inspiring people who share an entrepreneurial mindset. Welcome to our podcast. Uh, we could start with an introduction. So could you introduce yourself? Yes, sure. Uh, my name is Stella. I'm currently living in San Francisco and I was on the board of Alto ES in 2017 and active in 2016 and uh, currently working here at Smartly ever since leaving Alto ES. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. How about your study background? Yeah, I studied um, in Alto University in a program called Information Networks. It's um, quite a broad you know, program of computer science, math, industrial engineering, even some kind of humanities studies like communication and, and things like this. So very broad. And I took a deeper dive into statistics in my bachelor studies. Is there a specific course that you took during your studies that you didn't find that interesting at the time, but then later on you found it very useful? Ooh, that's a good question. There are definitely probably courses that I would now take more seriously if I got a chance to take them the second time. So focus more on them. Maybe the classical SSR and philosophy course, I would probably spend more time and thought on that now. And reflecting back, there were some good questions and discussions during that course. Yeah, I actually took it also two years ago and just like yesterday there was the last time that the course was held and actually the last um, last lecture oh that's odd to hear it feels like essa has been there for a very long time so <laughs> this day had to come yeah absolutely um what did you do in all two years during your time here yeah i started out with follow-up it was 2016 and i somehow you know just had bumped into so many people from Alto ES and I felt like there was always this great energy coming in from the people that I met and any type of, you know, tents and student parties or some stands they, they were um, kind of holding in student parties. So I felt like I had to be there somehow. And then I heard about this event called Fall Up. And um, at that time, the, the board of Alto ES in 2016 was thinking that maybe we should organize it again. It was a success the first time in 2015. So then my friend Nina Arvila and myself, we got dragged into the sauna and <laughs> almost quite literally. So then we just suddenly were the co-organizers and head of the event for Fall Up 2016. And then 2016 was pretty much all about Fall Up. Um, it was like we, we started building the event from scratch all the way from selling to partners to getting the speakers and everything you need to do to organize an event. And then after fall up, I felt like now is not enough yet. And there were some really great people around at the time in Alto ES. And I 
thought it'd be great to continue to the board with a very nice group of people. So 2017 was then a full-time board year, and that was an exciting one. Are there some learnings that you would pinpoint either from fall-up or your year as a board member in Alto, yes? Yes, um, there are some very concrete ones and then some more like high-level interpersonal ones, but maybe think about the concrete ones. I think especially with fall-up, it was kind of the selling part of it. Um, there was so much to sell when we didn't have anything yet um, kind of to, to sell officially. So we had to sell to partners when we didn't have speakers yet. And we had to sell the event to speakers when we didn't really have a budget for the event yet. And we had to sell to participants. Well, at that time we already did have some speakers, so that was a bit easier, but it was like this chicken and egg problem all the time. Like you're constantly selling, overselling to every you know stakeholder around you. So that was definitely um, a very great learning to see how that happens. And and definitely when we got to close our biggest partners um, that sponsored the event, it was definitely a huge achievement and felt like the biggest things I've ever sold at that time. So definitely great learning there and something that I'm pretty sure everyone will face at some point in their career, the need to you know, negotiate and, and get partners involved. So that was definitely on the concrete side, a very good learning. And, and also so many instances where you have to present to a large crowd without having that experience before. That's definitely something I would encourage everyone to do if you get that chance. And with Altoys, it's all, always great that people know that it's a student organization. So at the same time, they know that, you know, these are young people and they're not necessarily super experienced. So when you actually, you know, deliver something really great, um, it's more like a positive su- surprise, I guess. <laughs> and how about from your board year 2017? Yes, that was very different than to fall up. So fall was more about, you know, just getting the event together, scrambling all the time, like just trying to get it together on time. Um, and the board year was more, well, definitely different because we were full-time we really got to know each other we were building QS at the time and we had you know time to plan new things um, and we were also renovating the entire building so that was <laughs> uh, the first few months of, of the year that was also I learned a lot about um, like materials and paint and you know all of that stuff too but yeah the board year definitely taught how to set goals We talked about that quite a lot with the team, the board. So really trying to understand what everyone wants to achieve. Um, probably some of those goals have changed along the way, but it's still always good to reflect. And one of the nicest moments regarding this is we we had a trip to Riga, Latvia for a conference quite in the beginning of our year. And there um, during dinner, we just decided that, okay, now we'll do this round of you know, where will everyone be in 10 years? And that was a very special moment. And it really bonded the group. Also, at that moment, we decided that we should come back in 10 years to see if these things that we said <laughs> actually happened. So what is it now? Six more years until Riga. Sounds nice. You mentioned setting 
goals. So do you do that in your life at the moment? For example, every year or every month, do you set specific goals? Yeah. Well, in my work, it's really easy to set goals every quarter because that's kind of the rhythm of the company. And, and we do that with my team. Um, so that kind of gives a nice rhythm to teamwork and everything I do at work. But then personally, more yearly, I'd say, is always a reflection point every December. It's probably for most people, similar type of um, goal setting. What do you think was the most memorable moment during your time in Altis? Yeah, there are definitely many memorable moments. I feel like our trips to China were definitely memorable just because of the cultural learnings. It was so different. And then on the other hand, also seeing seeing um, Silicon Valley and how things are here in California, that was very different from what we saw in China. So there are definitely memorable moments from China. One is an example, we were Pachinki was to local um, people in Chengdu. So we had our contact person who had, you know, very much organized the trip and gotten us in contact with like, you know, the city government officials and all these relevant like startup and incubator incubator programs in China um, in Chengdu there. And we had this one meeting with, you know, a very like <laughs> tough Chinese lady very high up in the hierarchy of that city government and we were having like a very formal negotiation with them um, it was very much like Chinese style where you know the other party sits on the opposite end in a row and then a few meters away the other party sits in a row and then you know the main decision makers sit in the middle so the people highest in the hierarchy of both groups and then you know people take turns talking it felt very very formal And we were dressed very formally because we were expected to. So that was definitely a memorable moment, just sitting there thinking that, like, how did I <laughs> end up in this type of situation? Whereas then any kind of meetings we had in, in California was very different, very informal. You know, we were sitting you know, outside in a park or some rooftop in an office and people were wearing shorts and hoodies and very, very in casual setting. So you mentioned that you work at Smartly. So how did you end up at Smartly? Yeah, so when the board year ended 2017, um, I purely focused on my studies, did a bit more statistics and math and wanted um, a job where I could use that skill. And I also knew that I wanted experience in a high growth tech startup or at least early stage company. and At that point, there weren't so many to choose from in Finland, and I felt like Smartly had the opportunities I wanted and also the chance to move to San Francisco, which was one of my kind of dreams and far into the future. So that's how I ended up in Smartly, knowing that I'd have the opportunity to move to San Francisco. Could you briefly describe what is Smartly? What does Smartly do? Yes, we run a software as a service, so SaaS B2B online advertising platform. So we work with the APIs of Facebook, Snapchat, Pinterest, and constantly building more to automate and optimize online advertising. And in which positions have you worked in uh, at Smartly? So what responsibilities do you have and you've had? So I started in the business intelligence side. Um, it was very early at that moment. We didn't really have a 
team around business intelligence, but um, I joined that side and I was basically analyzing all this internal business data and support data, especially. We have this 24-5 open support chat for customers where we can gather all these types of insights on what they're asking, what they have problems with, what they see bugs or errors in the tool and, and, and all of that. So building out dashboards and analyzing that data was the initial role, but then I felt like I wanted to be closer to customers and not just internal business data. So then I did a leap over to customer data science, which is then a customer facing data science role where we analyze and provide testing recommendations to customers directly. What do you think that differentiates Smartly from its competitors? Well, we have kind of competitors that are doing the similar type of thing as us. So they are working with the APIs and they're not social media companies themselves. Then, of course, our competitors are also the native tools in Facebook and Snapchat and Pinterest. So they all offer a free tool to run your ads in. So we have kind of two scopes of competitors. And what differentiates us is Well, obviously from all these native platforms, we can automate across all different platforms. So from Facebook's ads manager, you would never be able to launch Snapchat ads. So that's something a third party can do all in one platform. So that's a competitive advantage. And then we have great processing capabilities with automating hundreds of videos very easily. So that's something um, our competitors don't have. I think Smartly has quite a good reputation. So what, in your opinion, makes Smartly a great place to work at, if you feel like it is? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And definitely it's something that is always brought up fairly frequently that you know we take you know, people first. I think a good example was when um, the entire COVID crisis hit and We had to close all our offices and everyone worked remotely from all around the world. It was very clear that, you know, we're thinking people first and how can we make everyone's remote work good and build confidence that, you know, financially we're set, you know, you don't have to worry about your job or anything like that. And it was really a people first type of moment there. And it's repeated often. And one concrete thing that I think kind of helps build that is our feedback culture. So it's very ingrained in the company culture that you're always encouraged to give direct feedback and you should also be open to receive it and not, you know, be defensive about it or get hurt about it, but it's more about constantly wanting to develop with your colleagues. So that's something I think builds trust in the organization and creates a good company culture. Where do you see Smartly going in the future? Yeah, that's exciting. I think definitely the biggest growth opportunities are here in the U.S., which is why during um, the latest kind of acquisition round, um, we now have U.S. owners here as well. And I think that's definitely one direction where we see a lot of growth. There's probably like maybe three broad categories of advertisers. There's the traditional ones who've been around for a very long time and they, you know, they've done billboards and TV ads and radio ads and now they had to kind of learn this new way of advertising. Then there are what we call like the digital disruptors. They're the ones who were born into this internet world and they're very native and everything 
related to the internet. So they are uh, very capable of using these types of online advertising tools and they were part of like, building that actually. Then maybe the third category are, well, they're also digital disruptors, but they're extremely new companies who, you know, get a huge VC round um, close and they suddenly need to spend $10 million in advertising and they need to start from scratch and ramp up very fast. So those three types of companies are the ones we work with and the most challenging ones are the very old and traditional companies and getting them on board. And the selling process is always very long and decision-making is a bit longer. So there's great um, potential to grow a lot there, but it's, it's definitely challenging. But that's where I see Smartly going more, tapping into the traditional advertisers. You live in California, so how did you end up there? And was it an easy move? Uh, yeah, that's a good good thing to reflect now. Um, I just simply you know, stated in the company that this is one of the reasons why I joined and I'd really like to move there. And um, that's how the process started. So Smartly was very open to that idea. And I flew out here for a week to kind of meet the team and, and see the role where I would work here. So that was all the easy part. And there's, of course, the practical side of it, getting a visa and all of that, which can be quite a long process. But it's all just you know, practical work. It'll get done eventually. I think moving here was very easy and I originally thought I'd stay maybe for a year and then move back and do my master's studies but it's been now one and a half years and I'm still here so I think now the harder part is probably deciding like what what to do next or how long should I stay here and will I move back to Finland in the coming years so coming here is easy but then you might get trapped so was it better than you expected yes definitely It was kind of what I expected. Of course, probably no one expected a pandemic and everything. So um, that changed the experience probably uh, somewhat. Um, but overall, very much what I expected. And and part of the reason why I definitely do still want to stay here is because I feel like I haven't really seen everything yet because I've been working remotely and um, you know there's been restrictions around the country. So I definitely think... Um, this year and next year will be kind of the original type of Silicon Valley that I was expecting. Could you elaborate a bit on the differences maybe in working culture or anything else between Finnish and uh, like Silicon Valley? Yeah, um, I think one thing is that if we think about purely in the advertising scope, it's definitely like bigger here like the sheer volume that advertisers want to reach people. It's a bigger market and more unified market here. So it's definitely easier to do that in, in the bigger scale. But then also I think things are expected faster, like faster turnarounds, fast decision-making. Again, I'm talking about these digital natives and not necessarily the traditional advertisers that um, I mentioned before. So they're very fast at making decisions and trying out new things. And there's just volume to test a lot. So it's more experimental. And I think that's very nice to work with here, actually. What about other things? What do you think are better in the U.S. and what are better in Finland? Hmm. 
that's a good question. I think this might sound kind of contradictory to what one might assume, but I think people are here like more direct in what they want and expect in a working environment. So people are not afraid to say very directly, like, you know, this is what I expect. This is what needs to be the outcome. And any kind of criticism is directly addressed and not like, you know, after leaving a meeting and then being, you know, thinking about the criticism in your head and <laughs> pondering on that for a while. I think that's a difference, which I think is nice because then you know what people want and expect. And it, of course, it can be very different outside of these tech companies and in San Francisco. So probably very different from the traditional corporate America world. And what about something that Finnish people do better or you wish that uh, you saw in, in the U.S. more? Yeah, that's a great question. I think Finnish people are definitely, they trust more. Maybe that's the right way to say it. Um, all the way from you know the people around you to institutions. And um, I think that's even been highlighted during this pandemic year a lot. Um, so I haven't been in Finland um, during that time, but uh, from what I can see and hear from friends, it feels like there's definitely more trust all around. It's a small country and people feel, you know, very Finnish and they uh, trust trust each other and the society around. Whereas here it's kind of like everyone does their own thing. And of course there are pluses and minuses there on both sides, but I think that's a huge difference you see in, in the way people think. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. You have been now working as a data scientist for a while. It'd be interesting to talk a bit about data also. So is there something specific that fascinates you about data? What I've always found really fascinating is formulating a hypothesis. Like you have some type of hypothesis or assumption, but it hasn't been proved. So I think that that's the fascination that you gather data and you prove something or you disprove something. And that's what I do in my job a lot as well. Like we have lots of hypotheses on what might work for an advertiser. And then we formally test that just like in, in medical studies, you do randomized control trials to test the effect of the medicine. We do similar studies in advertising, randomized control trials to test what the causal effect does showing ads have, and then we have different hypotheses we can insert there. And I think that's really fascinating to validate what you might assume. And sometimes your assumptions are completely wrong, and then that's also interesting. What do you see as either the biggest opportunities or maybe the biggest risks around data? Yeah, in terms of opportunities, I think, well, definitely... Efficiency is one. The amount of like sheer efficiency data has brought into modern organizations is very like, fascinating and definitely something that allows people to not waste their time on things that they can easily either you know analyze directly from existing data or gather data and, and prove or disprove your hypothesis. I think that's that's really what what the advantage is and of course with risks if we think about in the world of social media i think actually one difference to make i think the conversation around 
like big tech in the US, I think is very different from Europe. In Europe, it's always more focused on concerns about personal data and privacy. Whereas, yes, that is a concern here as well. But I think more commonly, I see the concern being, you know, misinformation or limiting freedom of speech or what is hate speech versus free speech and this type of conversation. And of course, that's all related to just the amount of data that Facebook has and they have a huge like centralized power within the internet. But the concerns are very wide and different around the world. So the privacy concerns are a bigger question or talking topic in Europe. But um, how do you tackle these issues at Smartly? Yeah, well, it is it is a concern here as well, definitely. And one example that is very like current right now is the Apple privacy update. So Apple will start prompting users to either opt in or opt out of tracking on iOS apps on your iPhone. So what these app developers have historically done is that they attach what's called a pixel into the app and that tracks everything you do on an iPhone app and sends that back to Facebook. So that's why Facebook has this immense amount of data because everyone is voluntarily attaching Facebook's tracking to their website and apps. And now Apple will start restricting that or allowing users to choose whether they allow Facebook to do that. So any type of action you take on apps um, won't necessarily be tracked and traced back to your Facebook user. So that's a big shift and it's hard to predict what portion of people will opt out of tracking. It could be anything closer to 80% or it could be under 50%, who knows, but definitely a significant amount of data loss for Facebook will result in that. So that's something we're handling now. And we have, again, like with my team, we have certain hypotheses of what this might do in terms of advertising performance. And we have various methods to then test out different solutions to combat this signal loss that's coming from iOS apps. So it's definitely happening. It doesn't mean that online advertising is going anywhere, but it might kind of be reaching this point where more and more people are aware of all the data that these big companies have gathered along all these years that you've been using the apps. And now it's probably reaching like a saturation point where we'll more like see regression towards more data privacy and less data gathering. Well, that's really interesting to see. And do you see the economy moving towards being more data centric? I would hope so. That's actually one one big difference between what I've noticed between Finland and the US. Like in Finland, things work fairly well. You know, you do your tax returns easily online. You do everything like, you know, the government has all these great services online and they're usually quite good quality. Whereas here I'd see there's probably a lot of efficiency that hasn't been tapped into on the public side. So I would hope that that side moves towards more uh, tech focused solutions. And then purely then from the company standpoint, I don't think, or how do I say this? The amount of data will probably constantly increase. Let's just say that um, it's more about the privacy solutions that will have to be renewed. So um, I think people will be more and more aware that they necessarily don't want like to use their Google login for every single app they use. Maybe there will be 
you know, a paid subscription to use some kind of completely secure login system and how much will people want to pay for that? Um, maybe those types of services will become more and more available and people will actually start to see that, you know, the, all these free services that you have been using aren't necessarily free and maybe there is, uh, is a, a price that consumers want to pay for protecting their own data governmental regulations towards like big tech companies a conversation has been going on in us lately uh, so how does the governmental regulations affect your own work in a concrete way yeah i think we've um we haven't seen any concrete regulations yet it's been more <laughs> of a of a show maybe so far so let's see if there's actually something that um, comes in the near future Like again, there's, I think simultaneously, it's like, I think like social media has just grown to be so huge and not just social media, but Google as well. And Amazon, it's all like, all these companies are kind of in the same bucket and the concerns are very different depending on who you ask. So that's why I think governments have a hard time defining like what they want to regulate precisely. And then how should they do that. I think in the latest Senate hearing, Jack Dorsey, the, the CEO of Twitter said quite nicely um, something like he said to, to the senators, like, hey, you're asking me to regulate my platform. Like you are the people who regulate and create laws in this country. Like if, if you're not able to do that, then how do you expect me to do that? Who's, you know, a tech CEO and not um, a regulator. So I think that was quite a good comment that there's been a lot of responsibility put into the hands of these tech companies, whereas then governments haven't been able to keep up for the last decades. So I think that's kind of the turning point we see now and, and there are no easy solutions, that's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely hard to define who is responsible for for what. But what do you think about the ethical aspects of gathering data? Like at which point is it ethical and when is it not or is there a point when it's not yeah that's a good question in a way like none of this is new so for example what like if you signed a credit card contract in the 80s there will be a clause that they're selling your credit card data to whoever or if you signed you know a teleoperator contract they will sell your data so this is definitely not new but maybe it's just more visible because you directly see you know, what you're doing, and then you maybe see the ads you receive, and they're very somehow personal to you, and you feel like the targeting is very on spot, and it's maybe in, more in your face than than many decades ago with, with all the other type of uh, data that was sold. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, what is ethical? I think definitely for the sake of like, finding relevant products or for companies to, to reach the relevant people, I think that's, you know, generally a good concept and it's something that online advertising has helped to achieve so you don't need to you know be exposed to all these tv ads that advertise some product that's nowhere near relevant to you so in in sense i think that should improve the experience but of course i think the main challenge here is that these companies who've now gathered so much like personal data like all these conversations you've had in your gmail inbox or 
you know, all these websites you've visited and all these search engine terms you've typed out, it, it's quite personal. So I think giving companies such centralized power to have access to all of that is a bit problematic. And that's probably something in some decades we'll look back and see as an odd point in the time of the internet that we had these few companies controlling it. Since you've been working more with data, has it affected your personal habits uh, of how you use, for example, what apps you use and how you behave? Mm, not really. I've never you know, posted so much about myself online, but I, I have limited some tracking, yes. And I think I'm more aware of also cybersecurity issues more. So that's something I probably didn't think about before too much. I think that's a major shift, like having you know, proper strong passwords and two-factor authentication on in every service and not signing up with Facebook to every single service. Like that's what I do personally. I'm still signing up to follow up with my Facebook account <laughs> everywhere. So. All right. What future problems could be solved with using data or is there anything specific? It's probably more like what can't be solved. It probably will be growing more and more in the future. I think one like great trend is definitely rising is personal health and well-being and using your own data and trackers to help you improve your health and well-being or sleep or sports and i think that's a huge opportunity because i think one of the challenges with like any types of nutritional studies or anything has always been that you know there's always a study proving something and disproving something and you know there's always some study proving a certain type of diet and certain type of exercise and and so forth so you can kind of cherry pick and find what you think is right and then there will be scientific proof for it but getting that to the personal level i think is a huge opportunity to solve and go more towards like less medication focused and more like starting all the way from young children to understand what type of food and exercise is, is good for them to stay healthy i have one more question about or regarding data Uh, you mentioned misinformation like earlier in the conversation. So I was just wondering, like, is there a way to avoid misinformation or these kind of, I don't know if they're called filter bubbles, but like bubbles in general. And the thing that the kind of data that I'm consuming and things I'm consuming, I'm getting more and more of that through advertising, for example, or some algorithms and, stu- and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of two things like these companies, like they want you to stay engaged with material that's interesting to you so that you would see more ads because that's how they make money. So they need to build or customize content specifically for you. So that's kind of the incentive behind the bubbles that then you stay more engaged when you see relevant content kind of like if you know what you're watching on Netflix or TV would be specifically customized to you and the content is always super interesting to you then you would probably watch longer so that's kind of the incentive problem that creates these bubbles and then misinformation itself that's i think a whole other 
question on like how to combat that and what is it, what is okay to publish online and what isn't. It's very hard to define without it then going to the direction that um, there's like censorship or limiting free speech. So that's a very, very hard conversation. And I think these platforms have been really trying hard to solve it because people are coming more and more aware that like there's a huge power in spreading falsehoods over social platforms. And what's the solution? Not sure. <laughs> Maybe one extra question regarding data. Um, are you at smartly using artificial intelligence for targeting the uh, ads for people or is that the tool for you? So like obviously if we can't alter the Facebook ad auction, so the way Facebook or Snapchat or Pinterest or any other platform kind of delivers the ads. But what we can do on top of that is like we have our own optimization features. So for example, what we can do is create a method that allocates your budget from one campaign to another in a smart way so that it gets you the optimal results. So what that practically does, it based on historical advertising data of the advertiser, it predicts your cost for tomorrow and then allocates budget accordingly. So that's something we can build on top. And then also with the ad itself, so the actual like visual part of the ad, um, we can do like computer vision to spot like, what type of like, visual elements you have in your ad and historically like what type of visual elements have performed well. So that's something that is actually new and we're constantly building and developing in the tool. Moving on to other topics. So do you find your work meaningful? Yes, I definitely think it's meaningful to help our clients grow their business. Like that's something every business will need to do. And um, this whole online world has provided such an efficient way to do that. And at fairly low costs, like test new things. So I think that in itself is meaningful. I think with B2B, sometimes it can be e easy to forget how you like, concretely affect the world because B2B companies are, you know, layers on top of each other. And, you know, you're providing a service for a company that provides a service for a company, that, you know, provides a service. And then you have to go through all these loops to actually remember that, okay, the final result for a regular human being in the world is this. And I think that's with B2B companies, whereas then if you work directly with consumers, you're actually building something very directly and you see someone use your product in the real world and not business world. So I think that's somehow a connection that can get lost in the work. How about then there has been a quite a lot of conversation around this topic, but uh, should work in general be meaningful in your opinion? Yes, definitely. And there are probably a million ways to define meaningful. So I just think everyone needs to like find the thing they're interested in and good at, and then um, apply that to something they find is meaningful. And of course, to someone, it can mean something so different than to someone else. So I think that's kind of something everyone needs to find and decide for their 
for themselves. But I think that's something that's discussed a lot more than maybe when I started in university 2014. It wasn't such a huge conversation. So I think there's definitely a shift. And when I started in university, I feel like you know the popular employers were the large consultancy companies. And now the shift is more definitely like what is the meaning of work and what type of impact do you have in the world? And people clearly think about it more. There's also a lot of talk about that the world is changing kind of quickly. So how do you keep up with your competence and knowledge in today's world? That's a great question. Yeah, there's probably like two parts to it. There's the industry specific stuff. So for me in this context, advertising and all these social media companies, and then like concrete skills that's not really related to industry. And the skills are more like the projects that I work on drive that. So always trying to have some new project going on in my work where I'm using skills that I don't necessarily have yet is is important. So not just getting into the position where you're repeating the same things over and over again and just repeating the knowledge that you already have. So I think that's important. And I try to help my team members find those types of projects as well. And then on the industry side, it's just a lot about reading online and being in conversation with these people who work work in these social media companies and getting updates from there. I think it's quite easy to stay on top of the industry-specific stuff. Yeah. Uh, you're leading a team, so what are your best tips for leading a team well? Set expectations clearly. I think that's something, if I now reflect back on like, let's say fall up, for example, where I hadn't really led anything before, I would definitely, you know, set goals and expectations a lot more clearly so that everyone knows like where we're precisely ending up and what everyone's responsibility is. I think that's number one thing, like create direction and create clarity, but then also give people the room to kind of figure out what they need to do and want to do within that like clear scope of what the team is trying to achieve so i think that's always like a balance you need to find so it's not too ambiguous and you know everyone does what they want and what what the <laughs> conclusion would be that it's it's just not a clear direction but then on the other hand you don't want to give precise tasks to your team members either all right i think we are beginning to look to the end but um do you have some some future aspirations regarding entrepreneurship maybe you have been in all es which is like really close to entrepreneurship so any future aspirations yes definitely um i think in the future what i what i can see is either you know joining a very early stage company and kind of being in in a growth type of role like that's basically all my experiences kind of sum up to this kind of growth with a hint of like marketing and data science so that's something i'd want to contribute to in a very early stage company or why not um, found my own one day but i think the next stage is definitely smaller rather than like larger from from here on out and before we wrap up, do you have some resource, a book or a podcast or something that you really like to 
read or listen to or something? Yes, I've been listening to Lex Friedman's podcast quite a lot recently. They're very long, so <laughs> they're not you know quick ones you can just listen to on the go, and they usually require a bit of like listening and thought, but they're great when you have the time like to go for a long walk or if you're driving in the car. He's been a great source of inspiration. Yeah, Lexi say, great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Knowledgeable. Good to hear. One. To hear. Yeah. All right, but uh, let's wrap this up. So a big thank you for coming to our podcast as a quest. Thank you. It was a really nice conversation. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. <laughs>